What's going on, guys? Anthony here. I just want to touch on a few different topics before you guys dive into this episode. Number one, technology was not my friend today. So um, so please excuse me for the, um, the mishaps here. I did my best to make this as pleasant of an experience as possible. Number two, we have so much good information in this podcast today. So please take a moment, pause the episode, pull over, write down in your iPhone. Yes, I said iPhone, not Android. I'm an iPhone guy. All of the amazing tips and insights that we will share with you today about having meaning and purpose in work, about how to impact your culture, about how to contextualize your benefits and your overall bonus structure, about how to really give a damn about your employees and show them through your personalized salaries and a, and, a, and a wealth of other information that we're going to be sharing with you. And third, I just want to thank you guys for listening. I want to thank you guys for caring. I want to thank you guys for adopting and appreciating the E1, B2 mindset. Employees first, business second. That's what I believe in. That's what I'm driven by. That's what I'm passionate about. And I just want to be able to share as much information and connect with as many people as possible around this perspective. And again, like I always tell you, I'm here to learn. I'm not a coach. I'm not someone that is an expert. I'm here to learn just as much as you guys are. So please appreciate the podcast, love the podcast, learn from the podcast and enjoy your day. Thanks a lot. How you doing, guys? Anthony here back again with another amazing episode of E1B2. I'm excited about our next guest, Zach Mercurio. Did I say that right? You got it. Perfect. Uh, is here today. So please, let's just jump right in. Tell me a little bit about your background. Um, after listening again, I should I should be more prepared and, and, and know the podcast that I originally heard you on, but um, I loved all of your perspectives and your points of views. I felt that throughout all my studying of this industry and all the different influences in this space, uh, your perspectives and your stories and the way that you look at HR and leadership and employees really kind of fits where, I, where I'm trying to go in this space. So that's why I really resonated with you. So uh, yeah, please tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself and just your overall background. Yeah, I mean, it's something to know about me right off the bat is I'm one of those people who uh, takes like three and a half hours to choose a one and a half hour Netflix movie. Okay. So I have been, I am one of those people that's just generally curious about a lot of different things. Works well for me right now in researching the human condition and how to enable thriving in work. Didn't work out so well when I was in college for things like having a plan or, or having a career plan or choosing a major. And so, uh, in college, I was really susceptible to what psychologists call making self-image goals. Those are goals in which, you know, resume goals, acquiring and achieving things to make myself look good. Um, and that's how I got my first career in a job that was all self-image related. I was in advertising sales and the organization around me. All we talked about was how do we acquire and achieve for us? And we didn't talk about how we contribute and how we're useful to other human beings, the, the customers and the clients. And I just, I just saw the collective misery around me as a result of that mentality. And thinking there's got to be a better way, right? There's got to be a better way to work. And it was in that scenario that I 
uh, interacted with this cab driver who we connected in a parking lot on a break one day. And he just asked, how, how was I doing? And I said, you know, not, not good. <laughs> Is it almost the weekend yet? And uh, I asked him how he was doing and he said, it's great, man. I love, I love what I do. I'm, I'm a, I'm people's friends. They don't get to talk to I'm people's parents. They don't talk to, I get to drive people around every half an hour around the nation's capital. You can't beat it. And I was like, gosh, there's a different way to look at work. He didn't talk about being a cab driver. He talked about his contribution. And since then I've been obsessed with shifting people's mindset to think about how can we focus on contribution first to enable our own thriving and others around us thriving. And now I research purpose and meaningfulness and work and thriving in work. And it's incredibly rewarding. Now, do you just research it or do you, are you actually advising and consulting companies? Like, do, are you creating a lot of content around these variables and speaking, or are you now kind of, uh, kind of jumping inside of a brand and kind of taking your brain and injecting into the CEOs and the other managers there? Yeah, I mean, this idea, so my space, this idea of purpose and meaningfulness, right, are very stimulating ideas. My goal is to turn it from a stimulating idea into a transformative practice, Got it. learning the practice of being purposeful, the practice of thriving. And so I do a lot of work. Uh, I use my research and apply it in organizations and then back to the research to sort of create this theory to practice, practice the theory type cycle in my work. So I do a lot of transformative consulting, a lot of habit building to build new habits, to enable people to be purposeful, to experience meaningfulness and to enable organizations to create the conditions where people can do that. Interesting. So a question uh, that I've been trying to ask and get a little bit deeper of, because when I, when I ask the question of what drives people uh, to kind of do the work that they're, they're currently doing, a lot of them, you know, a lot of people give me their background of kind of like the, the story of what built them up to do what they're doing now. But currently in this moment, what do you think is kind of driving you still to do what you're doing now? Are there any new motivations, any new um, drivers right now, any new things you're seeing the industry is going where you kind of want to have your imprint on it. Like talk to me about that, I guess, overall perspective. Yeah, I think there's a big meaning deficit in our society and in work and people knowing and feeling and believing that they matter, that they, they have significance, that they're more than the paycheck they get, that they're more than, a turnover statistic that they're more than an employee engagement score on a survey. And I think that you see that collective yearning for meaning and purpose. You know, when you look at a, a lot of the data that's come out, for example, 83% of workers indicate that finding a daily sense of meaning is one of the top priorities in work for the first time, over half of a large survey of thousands of people found that uh, people would take a lower paying job for more meaning. And I think it goes back to, you know, my own story, right? Like when we as human beings, we are not built to acquire and achieve things for ourselves. Research finds we are built uh, to serve other people, to be useful, to have significance. And I think that when I'm in organizations and, you know, like I just ask a question to somebody, you know, why why are you here beyond what you do, how you do it, or what you get in return for what you do? And people really stop and they struggle to answer that question. 
it really hits me that, you know, people have been taught that what they are is what they achieve, not uh, what they can contribute and their, their usefulness and their purpose. And so that I'm, a, I'm, I'm on a mission really to create environments that show people that they matter, how they matter, and then enable everyone to experience a sense of purpose and meaning in any job. Which I think is think- vital. No, go ahead. Listen, I'm sorry. Yeah, which I think is so vital because people spend 35% of their waking lives in work. And so work is one of the prime places people make meaning of their lives. And so inevitably how a society makes meaning of their lives is going to be tied to how they make meaning in work. And uh, to have, you know, just 13% of the world self-report that they feel pride and enthusiasm in their work. I think it's a public health issue and a societal issue. Now is pride and enthusiasm kind of the core of your definition of meaning um, as you, as, as it pertains to uh, the employees in their work, like break down your yeah. overall definition of what you actually mean when you say meaning as it pertains to your job and what you do. Yeah. So finding meaning really it's about finding positive meaning, which is meaning that's significant to you or that you find significance within. And so that's called meaningfulness. Mm-hmm. Purpose is the reason for which you exist, why you do what you do. What we know is that one of the most significant predictors of meaningfulness, meaning my work is positive and significant, is a sense of purpose, knowing how we contribute to other people and how our strengths meet uh, a human need. The pride and enthusiasm piece is actually the definition for engagement. So when we look at Gallup's definition of engagement, it's really an emotional concept. It's people's pride and enthusiasm in their work. And when we look at things like pride, being able to know that your work matters, how you're significant, and what your purpose is are are really key predictors of engagement. And it's, it's called psychological meaningfulness. And so... I think I hope that breaks it down, that meaningfulness is when you get positive meaning from your work. You know your work is significant. The meaning that you make is positive. Purpose is a driver of meaningfulness because it orients you to your usefulness, the reason why you and what you're doing exists, and helps you focus and uncover contribution, which is a driver of engagement and a lot of other outcomes like satisfaction, lower turnover. Got it. No, that was helpful. Let me ask you a question that's a little out of the box here. I, I try to I try to get a little bit deeper than your your standard you know questions here. That's great. Um, yeah, go. Uh, you know, whose responsibility is it, right? Do you think I'm always trying to make sure that my employees understand that they should take um, responsibility for things like meeting or things like purpose or things like strategically organizing. Um, what tasks they should work on based off of their strengths or their weaknesses or their their IDPs, their individual development plans. I, I think employees should take responsibility for something like this and have a little bit of, um, yeah, just responsibility. They should, they should know these things and shouldn't wait, uh, you know, for someone to tell them what their purpose is or what their meaning is. But at the same time, though, I definitely think it should be on the, on the responsibility of the brand to make sure that they are injecting this perspective in an employee, whether it's a current employee, whether it's doing the interview process, because I don't think a lot of people overall think about this, right? A lot of people are just kind of 
you know, skating by, you know, working a job, you know, doing the best they can do. And I don't know if both sides of the spectrum are really taking full responsibility. What's your perspective on that? Yeah. So I research people that don't have a lot of choice in their career. So mechanics, janitors, bus drivers, and how they come to experience purpose in their work. And what we, what we know, I mean, through really thousands of interviews with people is that people who are purposeful do what you said and have cultivated and created a mindset and approach that is purposeful. There's a big difference between having purpose and being purposeful. Mm-hmm. You can have a purpose and not be purposeful. And what I mean by purposeful is that you think, be, and do from a contribution first mindset. It's as simple as this, right? People who are skating by, they pick up their phone in the morning, they look at their calendar and they say, what do I need to do today? Purposeful people pick up their phone today, they look at their calendar and they say, how is what I'm going to do today going to impact other people? That shift has dramatic outcomes. And so I do think there is individual work that can be done to cultivate a purposeful perspective, you know, and what people tend to do is no matter how mundane or routine the task is, they're systems thinkers. They're able to see how it connects to the human impact at the end of it. And through that process of thinking that way, they uncover their life's purpose, how their strengths make a difference. A couple of weeks ago, I was working with some commercial contracting plumbers after a 12-hour shift on building purpose into their work. And this one guy said, yeah, I mean, the reason why I go to work, and he cleans sewer pipes, the reason why I go to work Hey guys, sorry about that cutting out on you. Throughout this entire episode, there's a little bit of issues with the audio, but hey, that's technology, right? So sorry about that again. Enjoy the podcast. I'm going to edit it and put it right back into motion with Zach. Thanks a lot. You were saying that there was um, the reason why he goes to work. That was the story you were, you were explaining. Oh yeah. So I'm working with a plumber, right? And, and, there, and he's saying that uh, he goes to work every day cleaning sewer pipes so that I don't have to drink cross-contaminated water, right? He can make that link between the task and the human impact. And that's something that purposeful people tend to do. And as you were saying, it's a skill set that can be learned. Uh, but what you can know that your work is purposeful and be able to do that. But if the environment that you're in, right, the organization doesn't give you evidence of your work's purpose, that you have meaning and mattering and significance, then the experience of meaningfulness is is often short-lived. And so that's why I always say that, yeah, it's an individual's responsibility up to a point because the environment can either produce barriers to experiencing purpose and meaning and thriving, or the organization and its leaders can enable purpose and meaning and thriving. And so I think you have to have both. You have to have the individual mindset and then you have to have an environment that enables it. Yeah, because I'm just thinking practically here, right? I'm just thinking of your everyday person that uh, has not had the pleasure of coming across some of your content or all the other people in this space that are kind of talking about content around this matter. Yeah. I'm, thinking, I'm thinking, what do they do? Like, practically, how are they 
strategically thinking like this because I've done a bit of research around neuroscience and the brand, and I know that you know you know these variables and and, and even to think about this isn't isn't locked in their subconscious in the memory banks. They don't they don't have the the natural inkling to try to strategically make sure that what they're doing has meaning or has purpose or or again whether it, if they are going to be in these uh, these lower level I don't want to call them lower level jobs because that's not fair um, how, you know because I, I always try to be politically correct but I, I also want to make sure that I'm being honest here how, how do I put it um, how, how would you suggest that I put it? do you know what I'm trying to get like these jobs yeah here, I know uh, I, w- I just say everyday frontline service work yeah just frontline because my mother is someone like that, and I, and I respect everything that she does. So I don't, I don't want to disrespect anyone by saying that. But, but And I might add that over 60% of the American workforce actually resides in those jobs. 100%. 100%. So we have this idea that work is Silicon Valley startup. 100%. But work really is work. This frontline work, that's the majority of the workforce. And as you grow, almost every organization is comprised mainly of people who do frontline work. They don't get as much attention in the professional development, you know, in LinkedIn articles and all of this, but, but that's the real core of workers. So I think that you know, how, how we serve that group is really who we are as organizations. Yeah. So, so I guess, you know, now that you helped me kind of navigate that, cause I was having a hard time trying to articulate it. Yeah, yeah. Saying, um, how, how do they strategically think about this or how, how do they even have the opportunity to think about this? Because again, they may not know about any of the content that you have out there. They may not have anyone, they may, they may not have a brand that is cultivating and, and creating these perspectives inside of their mind. So how do they look at this and say, you know, even though I'm doing this frontline work, maybe I should strategically allow myself with another company, even though it's the same frontline work mm. that allows me to have a little bit more purpose and a little bit more meaning. Yeah. So, I mean, it goes back to there are certain people, you know, that I've interviewed that that they, that's just how they have learned to think throughout their lives. Uh, you know, they call it the individual disposition, right, for thinking like this. A lot of it comes from upbringing of seeing someone else have a lot of pride in your work. I often see, I often think about it like this, you know, how we're, we're wired to learn language. Like our brains are wired to learn language, but if we're not around people in our life who speak, we would never activate that hardwiredness to learn language. We'd never speak. Mm -hmm. The same is true with we're wired to contribute. We're wired to be purposeful. But if we're not around examples of people being purposeful, we'll never learn to activate that altruism, that contribution-centered mindset. So yeah. a lot of people that I see have been in, in scenarios, have been around people in their lives that, that have taught them or socialized them to, to do that, to learn that. Now, for those that haven't, which is the majority of the world, right, the majority of the world, I think that that's why it is so, it's, it's crucial to be doing podcasts like this. Because the role that a leader or a coworker can play in enabling this type of meaning for others is really profound. For example, I was interviewing a janitor. She had been at a university as a janitor for 25 years. And I said, uh, you know, she talked about her pride in her work and how she derived a really significant meaning from it. And I just asked her, how did you develop that? And she said, 23 years ago, when I was starting, I had a supervisor who defined the word custodian for me 
as being somebody who takes ownership over a space. And she goes, I've told that story, taking ownership, taking custody of a physical space where kids learn. I have taken that statement and replayed it in my mind every day. And that's what has given me pride in my work every time I remember that. So one line, a purposeful line from one supervisor 23 years ago can shift somebody to a purpose-centered mindset, even though she got into that job to have a paycheck. 100%. So this is the role of leaders, of, of the skill of leading others to experience purpose and meaning. And there are things we can do as an environment, as leaders, to make it easier for people to, to experience this mindset set shift and all of the like transformative neurobiological uh, and physical results that come with it. That's super fair because um, it's more likely that uh, a brand manager, an owner, a CEO, someone at a, a higher level that's going to be hiring a frontline worker it's more likely that they'll listen to a podcast like this than the frontline worker to listen to something like this. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, you hit it right right there. So it should be more really on their back to make sure that they have that mindset, they appreciate that mindset. And then when they have these frontline workers to to kind of eject that, that perspective into their brain to get the most out of them, but also to help them because it's the right thing to do. And I would say for every level of worker, oh, because- I actually have found that people who are in these craft-based work like stonemasons, uh, people who are laying concrete where they can actually see the impact of their work right away, almost have an easier time yeah. seeing the purpose of their work than somebody who uh, is a few steps removed working in a white-collar job on a small part of a startup or a bigger company. And so I think it's imperative for all employee groups to be able to be in environments where they know how they matter and that they matter and that clear line of sight to what they do and the end outcome of it, the end impact of it is made clear. And that's partly the responsibility of leaders to remove barriers from someone, a person, their task and the impact it makes to make that, that line of sight as clear as possible. Super fair. So let me ask you this, because now that we're kind of having this conversation, um, I've been trying to remember to ask each guest here moving forward, because um, I, cr- I create, so there's two different types of content on the E1B2 podcast. There's a lot of individual content that I create, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 minute pieces of content where I just give my most authentic perspectives and thoughts around questions, topics. And then obviously I get to a- interview guests like you. And I yeah. always try to ask their perspective on, E1B2, which is employees first, business second. So mm. the people that have listened to this podcast, they know it. So I'm sorry to bore you guys, but I got to explain it to him. So um, when I first decided to start creating content, I, I, I was trying to come up with a name, you know, trying to trying to be a little bit cool with the branding. But you know what? I said, instead of trying to be cool, let me just create a, a, a title name that I truly believe in. And even if it doesn't really seem that cool or I can't create shirts or t-shirts or you know or hats around it it's something I can believe in and always appreciate uh, and that's why I came up with E1B2 employees first business second I thoroughly believe you know again I've ran a business uh, not huge but I've ran a business where I've employed people I've uh, 
you know, consulted for hundreds of different uh, entrepreneurs that had employees as well. I'm now am a part of a brand where I am leading um, 18 to, to 20 uh, trainers at any given time. I fully understand both sides of the spectrum, right? Uh, being an employee and also being a leader. And I firmly believe, and I'll debate this with anyone, that employees come first most in most cases, and especially with what we're talking about. If you really look at an organization, the, the meat, the core of the brand, they're frontline workers. In any company you can think of, they are the meat of the company. They are what's making the engine go um, and, and, and getting the most out of them and caring about them and loving them and, and putting them in the best position to have success should be your focus. It just seems completely logical to me. Yet, as I'm getting deeper into this world, I'm realizing that a lot of people are putting the business first and business objectives and and numbers and 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 margins and all these things that are great to think about. But without your core company without those employees, you have an idea and a building. Um, mm. And, you know, uh, if uh, the CEO of my company listens to this, me and him have had these debates a lot. Um, and he loves me. So, you know, it hasn't been something that's yeah. like deterred the relationship, but he's kind of in the middle. Uh, and um, I've always said, you know, and, and it's not that, and I want to put this out here as well. Um, for any HR leader that's going to be listening to this, it's not that when I say employees first, I will always side with the employee and coddle the employee. Um, it's That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying when I say employees first, I mean, we need to create all of our strategies and our perspectives to give the employee the best possible chance to be able to create the best product or offer the best service or be the most and get the most out of them in a very empathetic human way. Um, and, and I just think that makes the most sense. And then we can connect those to the business outcomes and strategic outcomes and financial outcomes that we want. Um, where do you sit on this? Well, I mean, I, don't, I really don't even think it's a debate because if you go back logically, it's not lot. You cannot pursue a result to get a result. You cannot pursue a result for a result's sake, you know, like profit, business success, uh, even customer satisfaction, right? Those are results. Every result, if you look up results in the dictionary, it's a consequence of something, the effect of something. So purposeful organizations, successful organizations tend to obsess about the of something, the cause. They're cause obsessed and they trust that the effect will follow. I get all of the, I get a lot of companies you just see them, they're clawing after the effect for the effect's sake, but they forgot to relentlessly pursue their contribution, their cause, so that the effect will follow. You know, like for example, um, you know, when I, when I think about things like purpose, right, I often say that you have profit because of purpose. Your profit enables you to keep delivering your purpose. Now, when you think about people, right, what is the medium of delivering every single result that your organization has what's what does that have to go through and like you said it has to go through your human beings the human beings are the medium of your purpose it's the only way your contribution to a customer gets delivered so if that medium is not in its optimal state if it's not uh if those human beings are not fulfilled if they're not experiencing meaning and purpose, and they don't feel authentically alive for being there, 
then your effect will suffer. It just will. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think it's more of a cycle, but I think making sure that you know that the only reason why you have a result is because you have a contribution, because you have a cause. The only reason why you are able to deliver that cause is because of people. So optimize people to deliver your purpose. And if you deliver your purpose to customers, you know, they'll keep coming back. Research finds that purposeful organizations outperform the market by an average of six to one. Uh, the year over year data on this is, is very clear. Yeah. And, 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 you know, and I agree with everything you're saying. And again, you know, when I came up with this concept, it came from, again, it just came from pure logic and experience because I don't have too much of the traditional background and research around this space and this industry that you do and all the other guests that I've had. It just came, this just came from pure logic. And I yeah, it's not, it's not that complex. I mean, you, you, you got it. I mean, you get it. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I kept bashing my head against the wall here as I would, as I, as I started to network a little bit and meet with different leaders. And again, even with my, you know, my leader today a bit, um, you know, it just was mind boggling to me that people didn't kind of understand this perspective. And, and once I really sat on it and really thought about it, I said, you know what, this is going to be the name of the podcast. And this is going to be my belief moving forward, whether I begin speaking or once I eventually get into consulting, this is going to be the perspective I want to drive into brands moving forward for the rest of my life. I, I, I just, cause I just, I just look at it as logic and I believe people need to start, you know, working on more logic than anything else. It just makes yeah, sense. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I think about, you know, why, why don't people understand this naturally, especially those in business leadership positions. And I actually have a lot of empathy for people who are in leadership positions because you think about this. Well, first, we have been educated for success. So we have been educated just, you know, even from when we're in kindergarten, that if we do these certain things, we'll be measured by these arbitrary results, right? Whether it's grades or turns into profit or earnings reports, whatever it is. And so think about every day you get up and your worth is measured by some sort of result that tells you you're a good business or you're a good leader. Uh, I would probably, if I lived that reality every day, I would probably be like, no, 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 no. We got to focus on this result. We have to focus on this. Uh, so I think it's a matter of people like you and people re-socializing people, like thinking, hey, like, let's think about from a systems perspective, what it takes to get that result that is important. And almost always when you, when you start asking those questions, you know, that people are the medium of of the purpose to get the result. How do you want that medium? What do you want those people to be like? You'll probably find some alignment there. It's just that people, you know, when you wake up in your everyday realities to be measured by some arbitrary metric, it's really hard to break out of that. And I don't, I don't blame people for that. I think it's just showing people how you can get there in a way that serves people. Let me ask you this. Do you, do you have any clients currently or do you do any work in the restaurant space? Mm, I have not done work in the restaurant space. I've done work in the retail space. So I'll tell you this. You may want to think about going into that space, and I'll tell you why. This is something I've been thinking about a lot. When I, again, when I first created the brand and the idea around it and I started getting into this work, I said, when I feel like I'm confident enough in my skill sets, I want to try to tap into that space, and here's why. Um, you walk into a restaurant because I've worked in many restaurants in my life. And then again, I told you I was the marketing director of a chain of restaurants. Yeah. Yeah. 
um, the the servers, the barbacks, the hosts, and the hostess, they are the most important variables of that business mm. um, outside of the chefs. And again, even the chefs are employees as well. Um, and you got to think about it, right? These servers, they're interacting with your customers. Your customers are writing reviews on Yelp and all different types of different platforms. Your customers are getting a direct experience of not just the food, but the service. And it, it would just, again, it would just make total logical sense from a pure culture standpoint, right? The way that you care about that person, the way that you lead that person, strategically putting them in the best position position to have success, whether it's, like, I thought of an example where, and again, I don't know how much of this industry you know, but um, sometimes uh, you have a, a, a server that may have eight different tables, and those mm. tables may be five tops, six tops, seven tops. And you know, as a leader, because you've dug, done your research, you have empathy, you know this person at a deep level that they may not have the mental capacity and the skill to handle those big tops because they're a very kind person. They like to tell stories. They like to really dive deep. So maybe you strategically know this and you align with line them with two tops and four tops and smaller tables, not taking away from their money because that's what happens, right? That industry, yeah. it, it becomes a politics type game. And now the person at the two and three and four tops are making less money opposed to the people at the, at the bigger tables. But no, you position them in a way where they can make what they need to make for their family because you care about that and you know that's their job. Mm. Um, but at the same time, you, you're you connecting with their strengths and you're strategically organizing it that way. Uh, I'll tell you firsthand, no leader, no general manager of a restaurant, no owner of a restaurant has brought this to my attention when I was working there wow. or, or is even thinking of this at a very empathetic, wow. strategic level. Um you either have the skills to perform a six top or you're fired. It's very mm -hmm. simple. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. And I just go back to what would a leader have to believe to treat an employee that way? Mm -hmm. They'd have to believe that their, the business outcomes are more important than the person. They'd also have to believe that there's some self-fulfilling prophecies in those types of industries where, leaders actually think that people are there just for the paycheck, right? Yep. Uh, there was a, you know, I was doing an interview with a maintenance worker and he said, yeah, you know, my supervisors all think that I'm just here for a paycheck. And that may be why I work, but it's not why I want to come to work, right? So why I want to come to work, the inherent motivation goes back to one of the things that you mentioned. You know, one of the places where people find fulfillment is when they can use their strengths to make an impact, right? Use their strengths, what they're good at to make an impact. Your example is a perfect example of that, of when a supervisor comes to know what someone's values are, what their strengths are, what they're really good at, and they put them in a position where those strengths can impact a human being, customer, teammate, they will, they will thrive and over the long run will probably make you more money. But um, yeah, I think it's a, a belief system. You have, to, you have to really look at yourself and say, what, 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 what would we have to believe as an industry to treat employees this way? And then once yeah. you get those beliefs on the tables, I think then you can say, what are some other ways of, of doing that? And again, this is where I go back to, like even leaders can learn a purposeful approach. Leaders can learn to enable motivation. 
uh, a lot of these things that are thought to be just like, oh, well, there's some leaders that are good and inspiring. There's some that aren't. Uh, they were just born that way, I think is a really difficult uh, concept because in all of the research that I've done, it finds that you can learn these skills, that these are skills. And I think that uh, that's why it's so key to invest in these middle managers, leaders, supervisors, to be able to do that, to enable meeting, to come to know people, to match their strengths to a human impact. 100%. So yeah, that's a, that's a space you may want to tap into. I don't think I'm ready to do it yet. Um, you know, I, I, I want to work on my skills here a little bit more, but it's definitely something I'm, I'm going to do because I have experience in that space. I'll be able to kind of talk through a talk. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Working with those general managers and then the owners of those restaurants and kind of, you know, trying to, like you said, trying to understand where they're coming from, but then also try to get them to think about things and look at this a little bit differently is something that um, I think more people like me and yourself need to kind of think more about. Yeah. And then I think about, right. Like what is, what is a restaurant, a, a restaurant owner wants people to come back, right. Yep. To their restaurant. So, but so, so if you want that to happen, what you reward for in your culture will become who you are, right? So if you're rewarding someone for efficiency, their ability to manage tables, then they become a table manager, mm-hmm. right? They don't become a customer experience provider. But if, you're, if you want people to come back and you want people to build loyalty, you need to reward for their contribution that they're making to the customer, regardless of how many there are. So I think that there's another, there's another issue there where you're in, you know, implicitly rewarding for a culture that becomes self-serving, efficiency-based. And then three, four, five years down the line, you'll wonder why people are going to that new customer service obsessed restaurant down the street. 100%. Let me ask you this. Um, yeah. I saw throughout doing a lot of research on LinkedIn, I saw that you said, um, you know, spotting value, I mean, value, spotting valuable moments, I mean, meaningful moments. Um, there's a lot of content that I'm seeing on that. Kind of talk me through that. And, and how would a leader kind of spot those moments? Yeah, well, I think it's, it's if you're a leader or not a leader, even if you're living your dream job, the reality is that the majority of your day is going to be spent doing routine, mundane tasks, mm-hmm. responding to emails, standing in line, commuting, uh, talking to the person you talk to, having that one-on-one meeting, all of those things, the routine things. About 20% of your work, you know, we find is spent actually like getting a big project finished, launching a new product, getting a big thank you, right? And so when I, spotting moments, the way we approach and engage with the routine and the mundane, you know, author Annie Dillard says that how we spend our days is of course how we spend our lives. Mm -hmm. So how we come to approach the everyday moments over time is going to be how we see our careers, how we see our organizations. And so spotting valuable moments. And you said you were, uh, you were an athlete, right? Yes. Uh, how, what percentage of your time would you say was spent practicing versus Um, in games? Just out of curiosity, like practicing. 85%, right? When you look at professional athletes, 90 to 95% of their daily lives are doing routine drills and practices. Yeah. So, uh, Spotting valuable moments is being able to look at those small everyday moments and to be able to reflect on 
how they mattered, how they will matter down the line, how they matter to another person that day, being able to say like how they matter to reaching your bigger goal. So one of the ways to do that is just at the end of each day, just look back and ask yourself, how did what I did today matter to someone else, to my future? And just write it, you know, I, I encourage people to just write it down um, at the beginning of the day, instead of like, what am I going to do today? How is what I'm going to do today going to benefit someone else? Or um, where can I look for meaning today in, in my in my work? And so I think that when you cultivate that mindset to uncover purpose and meaning where you are and what you're doing, you'll be able to do it wherever you want to go. And then for leaders, it's creating the space, right, for people to be able to do that. I mean, I work with a lot of hospitals and a lot of nursing staffs who are on a really fast-paced, high pace of work, under-resourced from a people perspective. Interesting. And I, I always ask them, like, so, yeah, everybody's burnt out. And I say, well, how often do they get to reflect on the good things that they did that day? Oh, never, because all of their, they have huddles at the beginning of each shift and they always talk about what's going wrong with this patient, that patient, this patient, this patient, right? They never just take the time to say, hey, can we spot one positive outcome today? And even just doing that at the beginning of like a meeting like that can retrain someone's mind to start thinking about those moments of mattering and meaning in the everyday. And it will actually put them in a better psychological space to be able to respond to the stressful moments. What are some tips to, for leaders to, to notice these things, right? Like what are some mm. tips that you may have for leaders to kind of notice these, these small wins and how to strategically make sure that they are bringing this up? Because yeah, what, yeah. I, what, what I've realized in, in my work here recently, you know, I'll, I'll email my CEO a bunch of different things and in his heart, you know, he genuinely believes and wants a lot of things to come, um, come into fruition, like wants these things to kind of be a part of the brand. But as we know, you know, as the week goes on and as we get into the the core eight hour day, 10 hour day, 12, 12 hour day, because we're still a startup. So, you know, it's really 24 seven, you know, yeah. a lot of other things become more pressing than a lot of the emails that I'm sending. And, and that's kind of some of the things that I'm sending is like, let's start remembering and noticing and appreciating some of the small wins or, or measuring out some of the small wins as some of these trainers are doing um, mm -hmm. strategically like how, how would a how would a leader kind of make sure that his or her day or his or her week his or her month is kind of aligned around noticing those things and then putting that into play to remind his or her employees about those small wins and about those small positive uh, moments yeah i mean i think one of the biggest skills is is really becoming a good, not only storyteller, but a story collector mm -hmm. uh, to be able to collect as many stories as possible of the work's impacts. And whenever possible, make sure the beneficiary themselves tells the story. Uh, you know, there's some research from Adam Grant at the Wharton School, mm -hmm. and he did, he did some research on when people hear how their work benefits another person from that person, that their productivity and motivation increases up to 400%. And so being able to, anytime you can bring in an employee to tell the story of how the work mattered, you know, to your CEO, for example, that is what makes the purpose of the work 
real. I mean, there's nothing more powerful than an actual real story. The other thing is to find key touch points to tell those stories. Like there's often, we often have meetings that have become like update fests. You know, we have like update, 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 update. And then we have another meeting with more updates. That's really psychologically demotivating for people. Uh, You know, talking about what to do and how to do it doesn't inspire people. But yet the inspiration of people is exactly what will allow you to do those things (laughs) that you're talking about. So being able at the beginning of a meeting, you know, to devote five minutes to, hey, let's just, I just want to hear one story today of when we saw, you saw our mission in action. So here's the thing about that. Even though at first they, they may be like, oh, well, come on, we're going to do this story thing, or they may not be into it. Over time, as you start asking the questions, you start directing their meaning making. I'll give you an example from my toddler. He's four years old. Okay. He goes to daycare. And I ask him two questions at the end of each day. Who did you help today? And who helped you today? Right. At first he was like, uh, you know, he couldn't tell me he was just sort of babbling, but then he started telling me every day, even before I asked him about three weeks later. And the other day he said to me, daddy, I couldn't find somebody that helped me today. But here's the thing, because of the questions I was asking incessantly, he started looking for those things. Yeah. So by asking those questions incessantly, like you're doing and relentlessly pursuing these stories, you can start directing people's attention to what they start paying attention to as a leader. So storytelling, story collecting uh, is, in, is incredibly powerful, making contribution goals more important than achievement goals. Uh, you know, how will you measure your impact versus what will we achieve? Uh, having just as much conversation about those things, that's another tactic. So there are a lot of them. And I respect you from that. I don't want to go too far off track here, but I respect you for that. You know, so that's maybe a little bit of a parenting tip for you guys out there. Because I think, <laughs> yeah. um, so I'm, I'm 28 going on 29. Um, so I, I'm relatively, and how old are you? You look, you look pretty young in your picture here. 35. That's good that I look young. Uh, so yeah, yeah, I, mean, you're I shouldn't have said young. that on a podcast. Now everybody knows, but it's good. 35. <laughs> no, it's all good. Um, so yeah, you know, as I'm, I don't have kids yet. So as I'm thinking about kids and as I'm thinking about, parenting i'm always trying to you know i'm always trying to think about how can i infuse the most practical and real life knowledge and perspectives into my future child and that's that's something i think you're doing right now which is not just doing the standard parenting but trying to do things that are more that are really going to be able to have your child look at things a little bit differently and really find meaning and purpose in life overall and really help people which is i think uh which i think is a really good thing that a lot of parents probably should start paying attention to right you know yeah and you bring up a really good point that's related to to what we're talking about in work that our relationships outside of work are not all that different from our relationships in work with the people we leave right what am i trying to do i'm trying to create the conditions for this kid to thrive that's the same thing i think a leader should be doing in work Right. And so some of these things I see, you know, they translate over a lot of my research on the workplace translates over into my parenting because the relationships aren't all that different. And in fact, even in my friendships, right. I mean, how am I enabling this person to thrive is a very different conversation than how am I getting this person to do as much as they can for me? We would never treat our best friend like that or Mm -hmm. our spouse like that or a partner like that. We'd never treat them as, 
how can we get them to do as much as they can for out my benefit or for a financial return? So why do we do that in the workplace? This is, this is the craziest thing. I don't know if you heard me say, oh my gosh, as you were talking. Um, I have, and, and go back and listen to this at some point if you'd like. I don't know what episode it is. I have an episode where <laughs> I'm ripping the head off of anyone that's listening to it. I'm freaking out about this. Because, um, you know, because coming from my sports background, I have I have a little bit of that motivation style of, of speaking in my, in my tonality. And I'm literally screaming almost. <laughs> saying, you, know, you, you would never treat your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your wife, your husband, your, your mother, your grandpa. You would never treat any family member like this. No. You would never in a million years do that. Um, you know, or, you know, what I also did in that rant is you would never, you know, I say this to CEOs all the time. You would never want your daughter to come home and say that she was treated like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. That just boggles my mind. And when I say it, I never to this day I, I have each and every leader look at me with a blank face. And they, they can't they can't even argue. There is no argument here. There is no argument. Yeah. I mean, right. Yeah. I mean, how I had this you said this. It's like exactly what I was just gonna say. I had this interaction with a a, a CEO who was really, you know, just not into this whole purpose thing that we're here to, you know. We're here to provide value to customers and make money. And then I just asked him, I knew he had a daughter who actually went to the university that I teach at. And I said, how would you want so-and-so to experience work? And he went on to describe a positive, purposeful organizational exactly. culture. And so it's, it's, I think part of this work is about personalizing these things as much as possible. You know, personalizing work. And humanizing, rehumanizing work and people. And that essentially, you know, I know my kid will probably spend more time with his supervisor than he will have had with me in his 18 years, hopefully 18 years of living with me. Mm -hmm. So how he, how he makes meaning out of his whole life for 35% of his waking life when he leaves my house is up to leaders and organizations. That's why I'm into this work. Right. I mean, that's why I have a, a stake in this, but everybody does. And that, and that's, I think the work that you're doing is really important. And this work on creating human first businesses is, is so critical. I mean, you saw the business roundtable announcement, right? Uh, where all the 181 of the most powerful CEOs recently just said that their stakeholders, internal stakeholders, are more important than shareholder value for the first time. I mean, this this is the way the tide is turning. And I'm noticing that. I'm starting to see a slight little turn. So I, maybe I'm jumping into this industry at the right time here. Oh, for sure. And the big, the big gap now is moving from words to practice and strategies. Exactly. And, and this is why this stuff, this type of purpose-first, human-first leadership is a set of skills that can be learned. It's not just a nice idea. Let, let me ask you something that is, isn't fully, fully in your wheelhouse here. Uh, and I'm looking at the time, so please don't be afraid. I know you were saying, so maybe about 10 more minutes will be good for you? Yeah, about 10, uh, 10 more. About, uh, you know, 11.50 my time would be great. Okay, perfect. That's fine. Um, I, I do have... Um, I do have something I wanted to ask you around personalizing something. 
and then we'll finish it up with kind of the uh, the contextual employee benefits. I know that was something you wanted me to kind of clarify when we did the yeah, yeah. pre-podcast here. Um, this may not be fully in your wheelhouse, but I, I have a gut feeling that you'll have a perspective on it. Um, before I ask, what what size companies are you normally working with? Are you working with are you working with have you had the opportunity to work work with huge brands, huge companies? Are you really working with uh, an employee staff of under under 200? Mm, yeah, that's a good question. And to be honest with you, because this is such a translatable and universally human topic, uh, you know, just last week I was working with, you know, I could work with a large multinational uh, thousands of employees like a chocolate company. And then in the same week, I could be here working for a 400-person medical center. Yeah. Uh, so I've worked with a lot of – there's a lot of variability there in working with smaller, mid-sized companies. I would say the majority of my work is with the mid-sized, smaller companies, um, you know, 400 to 1,000 employees. But then I, I have done a good amount of work uh, with larger Fortune 500, Fortune 100 uh, companies. Yeah. Okay, so what I'm going to say again is this: this is definitely not in your wheelhouse, but you may have a perspective on it, and I'm trying sure. to push this a little bit harder. Yeah. Um. So, all right. So, how do I break this down and make it simple? So, um, when people are rolling out salaries, whether they're looking on LinkedIn or whether they have an outside firm kind of give them data on their particular industry, saying, "Well, uh, a CFO in this industry is getting." 160 uh you know a ceo in this space is getting 400 you know what i mean they're they're letting people know based off of your job title and what the value you bring to the company in this particular industry here's what you're getting paid right mm, yep i've this is crazy and people have, <laughs> one person i've had one i've had one person in this space say that what i said and what i'm trying to say makes a ton of sense uh everyone else kind of just laughs me uh out of the room here so I'm trying to have my leader right now understand this, and I'm trying to have more brands understand this. And it really works for companies. Again, I would say 400 employees or less, because mm. once you get over that, it, it will really be hard to personalize this. So why is it crazy? If, if, if you have enough good business coming in, your margins are where they need to be. And again, my background, I know all these details. So if you have enough things happening, your margins are where they need to be. You have enough cash flow. The, the money is there. So that 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 issue is off the table. What's the problem from your your low level employee all the way up to your your high level executives, uh, CFOs, COs? Why is it out of the out of the discussion to? personalize their salary conducive to their lifestyle so let me give you a very clear example when i look at an employee i i i'm not trying to pay them based off of what other companies are paying them i'm paying them based off of number one the cash that i have at a very objective level and then number two i know this is crazy i'm paying them based off of the the reality and the context of their life because I know if they are comfortable and stable financially, that I know that the that is a headache that will be removed from the table. And I probably have this perspective due to a lot of personal things that have happened in my life and my family in the area that I come from. But I just, is it crazy for me to imagine a world where from your baseline employee all the way up, that each and every uh, salary is personalized to a certain extent 
based off of their actual context and things that are happening in their life, as well as the bonuses, as well as the benefits. Is that insane to think about? I think the only reason why it's insane is because our system is a meritocratic system. Okay. So the system that we've been, the system that we're operating within is built on compensation for merit, not uh, compensation for humans. Like what humans have achieved is tied to how much they get paid, right? Not what a human being needs contextually. So it's a very countercultural idea, which I think is good. I think it's a really good and interesting idea. Where There's I one company that does it too, by the way. I can't oh, remember really? the name. Yeah, yeah I think it's a it's a really interesting idea and something that would be very powerful. And I think that. Oh, Zach, I can't really hear you that well. Hey guys, excuse me for the mishap once again. I told you that the technology was not my friend, but again, enjoy the podcast, love the podcast, appreciate the podcast, learn from the podcast, and let's get back to the episode. Sorry about that, guys. I think the organization would have to ensure that people are already set up with this um, idea of internal motivation, internal fulfillment, so that the salary, the contextualized salary doesn't become uh, just another th- another thing that induces them to say, oh, the company's going to provide for me. So I don't, you know, that's, that's all I need. You would have to create a, a really purposeful oriented culture to enable people to have that internal motivation to continue on despite whatever the contextual differences in salaries between a, a one person and a coworker or someone else, you know, that's the only thing, the comparisons, yeah. the values, judgments that may be made, um, all of that. But I think it's a really powerful idea and I wish the system was set up more for it to happen. A hundred percent. And again, it's just an idea. Um, it's just a perspective. I can't remember the company that does it and i definitely want to dig a little bit deeper and figure out brands that are maybe not doing exactly what i'm saying but trying to blend in some of the perspectives of what i'm trying to say and a little bit of 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 trying to contextualize things a little bit more with their benefits with their bonus structures with the salaries themselves Mm. um uh, because i think it'd be super powerful so um i'm definitely going to do a little bit more digging over the next few years here to try to figure out a way um, to try to embed that a little bit more into the organization I'm with now and, and the organizations in the future. Um, yeah, and I think those are the kinds of countercultural thoughts and ideas that we need to see more of. Yeah, I definitely agree. 
Um, so I'm looking at the time here. So Zach, yeah. I, I really appreciate this. Guys, please don't kill me. I'm going to do a hard job. I'm, I'm going to do a lot of work here trying to um, edit this all in it and make it as smooth as possible. But there's a ton of great information here. Um, I really enjoyed this conversation. I hope you did as well, Zach. Yeah, I did too. It, it seems like we're synced up here and I appreciate the work that you're doing um, and how you're doing it. And then love to talk again sometime. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I really, you know, as I, as I feel good vibes here, I always try to make part twos and part threes. So hopefully we can uh, continue to stay connected. Um, is there anything that you else you want to share or if you want to kind of let people know some of the work you're doing and where they can find that work? Yeah, I would say my favorite, my favorite thing to do is I write a monthly newsletter called The Spark, and it's all about building environments that elicit meaningfulness and purpose for people in work. And I have a lot of downloads and exercises and some of that practical stuff for leaders there. And you can just go to ZachMercurio.com and, and sign up there for that. Um, I don't really have anything to sell. It's just me sort of making meaning of what I'm reading and some of the research that I'm reading and how you can turn it into practices that people can learn. So I'd love to have anybody out there involved and get your feedback uh, on that. Are you doing any speaking? I am. I mean, a lot of my work is in uh, organizations or for existing associations, but I just came off a, you know, five or six engagements in the last couple of weeks. Um, and I will for sure let you know if there's any ones that are open to the public at, you know, out there coming up in the next few months. Okay. Um, yeah, I respect your time here and let you run, but uh, please, uh, when you're ready, man, definitely get a podcast going because I'm sure we would love to to hear. Yeah, so, it would be fun. This was yeah, a fun. Yeah. Podcast. Um, no, I was gonna say also, you personally should get a, get a podcast going as well. Oh yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, but uh, I know I gotta do it. Well, I'm excited to hear the episode, so let me know and I'll I'll share it widely. Yeah, please. Yep. So I'll do the editing and share it with you, and uh, we'll get it from there. But um, again, cool. guys. Pause this episode, break down a lot of Zach's perspectives. And Zach, uh, I really appreciate everything. You have a good day, brother. Thanks, man. All right, we'll talk soon.